Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out of Punk Splits. This is uh, a fitting way to give you the final episode of Turn Out of Punk for the year because uh, Splits was something that we started this year. Well, we, me, started this year with a bunch of friends coming back and doing part twos. And, uh, you know, it, it just felt like a, a, a good way to wrap up the year by having another self-serving episode and having Mike and Jonah come by and do a splits ostensibly about talking about year of the horse, but we, we don't talk about much of year of the horse. Uh, I had to get ready. This, <laughs> this is a, a very, uh, this is very much a, a fucked up van ride style conversation. Uh, it's free flowing and not in the best way. And, uh. Got a spectacular ending. Get ready. And and that's it. I'm fucked up, of course, has put out a bunch of records that I hype up on this show the last little while, but you can find out way more information over at fuckedup.cc. Uh Year of the Horse is just coming out on Tank Crimes, and it is looks incredible the packaging on this thing, the the layout, everything. There were some issues, I think, with two of the pages of the first pressing on the lyric book being out of order. Uh, but I'm, and that's being rectified in, in subsequent pressings and stuff, of course, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for you to hear this. If you haven't, it's a very long song that, uh, as you hear, uh, took a long time to make in, in terms of years. But anyway, this will all be talked about in a moment. Uh, that's it. I, I don't think there are any notes to get to, uh, for this episode, yeah, I don't think so. No, I think I'm. I think I'm good. All right. Uh, uh, hopefully, the fucked up thing continues for the first show of the next year too. But I'm having a hard time <laughs> getting the person on the phone for this thing. Uh, so hopefully, it happens. Anyway, uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy Mike, Jonah, and me on Turn Dead a Punk Splits. Oh, thanks for everything this year, by the way. This has been a, a huge, fun year for the podcast. I think we put out more episodes than any other year. And I say we now because Tristan, of course, my brother and show producer and guest booker, thank you, Tristan, for all your hard work, uh, worked tirelessly to make this kind of stuff happen. So uh, it's been a fun year. More, more two-hour-plus episodes than ever before by a long shot. I think we had like maybe three before. Now we're like... I don't know. There's lots. <laughs> Go through the archives. Go look back and listen to some of these episodes. I'm sure there's a cool person somewhere in there that you haven't heard the episode with. Also, head over to turnedoutapunk.com and pick up a t-shirt if you haven't yet. Thank you to everyone who has, by the way. Um, they're, they're, most of them are gone. So thank you everyone who has picked one up. Uh, hopefully we're going to do more merch in the new year. Other cool stuff that are, are planned or in the works. Um, uh, uh, check out the Patreon. Huge, huge thank you to people that do support the Patreon. Thank you for everything. Thank you. Uh, thank you to Vans for a, uh, another great year. And hopefully uh, doing more House of Vans stuff in the future when everything kind of gets figured out. And uh, that's it. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy myself, Jonah, and Mike 
on Turn Out of Punk Splits. Mike and Jonah, welcome back to Turned Out Hi. of Punk. Hello. Hey. This is actually the most... We haven't actually all been together. Uh, well, we played that one show, and we practiced a couple times. But apart from that, we, we feels like we've been apart for so long now. Yeah, something happened to um, this world. It feels yeah. like nothing, nothing major. Finger on it. <laughs> nothing yeah. major. But we like you know other bands got together and they, they did uh, like Zoom sessions and uh, online uh, virtual concerts. I don't have the tech to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could have figured it out, but you no, know, I don't think we're really a band that would lend itself to that. I can't picture yeah. any of us playing to the uh, to the uh, to the, to the to, lens. Yeah, to the lens, except for me. I can see you doing it too, Jonah. No, we we've done sort of live. We did the Strombo show in his house. That was sort of like broadcasty. Yeah, but we, we all do just something like that again. But we weren't like separated into individual rooms, like having to look at the camera. You know. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Like that'd be really weird. Can you picture like Josh just like? Okay. He's the one I, seriously. He would do it the most. I he think, would probably do it of the anyone. Most. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. I'm desperate for the attention. I do it the most. Josh is going to upstage all of us in this uh, in the coming tour with his uh, stagecraft. I think. Well, I don't know if you guys know this, but I've actually started learning how to play guitar too. To be uh, fourth guitar. I got one guitar. Uh, fourth guitar. No, I'm yeah. the fourth guitar player in the band. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm thinking four guitars. I just want to play four guitars, different tunings. Um, The hardest part is to go from like one note to the next note with your fingers and to remember where they go on the next note. That's hard. You just got to lock your fingers in place and then you just move it up. Yeah, the lock finger, right? They told me about that on the video I'm watching. I'm watching several different videos all at once on YouTube to uh, learn how to play guitar. I think on tour, you guys the guy from dragon force does he do one his videos no i haven't isn't he the guy that's like the most virtuosic metal player ever i don't know why chances are i'm not at that level what about ingway malmstein i thought that was a high watermark for virtuosic metal guitar playing (laughs) damien's gonna retch i'm like i'm like like this right now with my guitar skills not not like yet are you gonna are you gonna do the microphone guitar stand thing that'd be cool and fucked up well, like, make my microphone no, I mean, on the like, end of my guitar? No, I feel like you'll probably stay on stage a bit more on these tours. Yeah. Will you go to the length of, like, singing but having a guitar around your neck on stage? Uh, maybe I want to do that, like, Tim Armstrong thing where you have the guitar yeah. and you only really play it, like, one or two notes per song. And I think yeah, I, I could kind of do that, you know? Yeah. And then smash it on someone's head at the end of the set. Do we have any songs that are E's, have E's in them? Because I'm pretty good at getting that E fingering. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, we're, we're you there. You could do drop D tuning, too. I tried that. Jonah tried that with me, but I couldn't do that even. You know? But you've we've committed your guitar playing to record already on David's Town. That's true. Yeah, no, I Which, want to do uh, a better job. I want to have one song where I actually play guitar for real, for real. before. That must have been what lit the spark for you. I think taste, I think the taste of the glory. I think what honestly lit the spark with me was uh, was I got a tour offer to do a solo acoustic show, <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know how I do that. 
So I was like, okay, I'm going to have to learn how to play guitar. Not that I ever want to do a solo acoustic show. I think that would probably be the worst thing ever. But, you know, I want to be able to at least know that I could if need be. You know, but I'm not there yet. That's wise. I can't believe that this is an exclusive that you're going to be the new guitar player and fucked up. I know. I can't believe it, too. I like I really do have a lot of pressure on me between the show offers coming in and the new position and fucked up. But I'm I'm it's going to be I hope people aren't setting their bar too high for me on this guitar thing, because you guys know I'm not so hot with this whole music thing. You know, known as a guitar record. David comes to life. It is. We're not talking. We're not talking about that today. No, we're talking about Year of the Horse, which, uh, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I honestly thought you guys were just fucking about it until uh, you were like, "Let's just switch and do Year of the Horse instead of." Because uh, we were originally, I guess, the whole story is we were originally in the studio uh, working on another LP that, when COVID happened, would be kind of impossible to execute as we wanted to execute it. And were you, you just emailed and you're like, why don't we do year of the horse instead? Right. Of what? Instead like of doing put it out first. Yeah. Instead of doing the, the, the original intention oh, yeah. for the next LP. Cause I think it was, it was, it was almost finished by the time COVID happened. It was, the music was all done, I think. And yeah, uh, I... you just need to get on it and all the, all the other singers. When was the music done? Uh, we like, finished, finished. Like, no, like, like I mean, like the basic ago. tracking yeah, five years ago it was finished. No, we, we finished part one in 2016, like sides A and C, like completely done and arranged. And then B and D came probably late 2018, maybe. What we were, you guys recording stuff for, it was, uh, we were finishing yeah. Dose Your Dreams. Dose Your Dreams. Yeah. I mean, during Glass Boys, I guess. Right. No, not during Glass Boys. 2016 would have been. That's a, Glass Boys was 14 or something, wasn't it? No, no, that's 16, isn't it? 14. Oh, well, gotta check the LP. Kind of didn't do my research on this band's discogs before this interview. Get up Wikipedia. <laughs> I, I normally, I normally now like I got like a little research pad full of questions, and yeah. the one time I don't do it is the one time I really need it. Well, you shouldn't have to research your own band because you're in it. Apparently, but when you're living something, I, I've come to find by doing this podcast, you don't necessarily experience it in the same way as uh, it actually happens. You don't just go to sleep at night counting all the years that all the fucked up records came out. No, That's no, weird. no, I did. I can't uh, can't sleep thinking about it. You know. That, that was from uh, What's that as a deep yeah. cut reference with people paying attention good. at home. That was good. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. Like I, I really can't, um, I can't think of like the years between uh, David comes to life and glass yeah. boys and dose kind of all blend together. Weirdly. It's only like five years, five or six yeah. years. Yeah. But it was five or six of the most insane years for me. Like my life is chilled out so hard compared to that time period like i was a you knew well you knew you were around me i was a crazy person I was discovering weed yeah i was trying to do tv shows i kept having babies it was it was didn't crazy... you start smoking weed like almost in the tens it, that was uh, like on the, the 2000 of 10 2010 yeah Maybe 2000, it, was, it, was, it, was, it would be right around time the... david 
I remember the first time you smoked weed, quote unquote, first time, because you told us you did it before already, but we were in Holland. Yeah. And we, we played an outdoor festival uh, with that band, uh, the Topless Harry guys. Yeah, I always forget about. what they're fucking called from Israel. That band yeah. from the like, uh, what are they fucking called? Anyway, I'll look it up. I'll fix and, this in the intro. And you're Harry and you got topless and you smoked some weed in a field. I, I smoked not even in a field, dude, in in a circle backstage with everyone. We were all standing around in a circle. I think that you did it secretly a couple times too, though. You just muted. I did it one time before that, I said. That's like how I started drinking wine secretly before I told everybody I started to drink. I had heard, Mike. I knew. But I was I like, no, even before you got, like, I was trying out on airplanes and stuff to see if I could, like, get it down. Like, when I was, <laughs> when I was by myself. I May I please have time, a grape juice and a wine, please? Well, I was like on an overnight flight without you guys to Europe, and I was like, I'm gonna try wine on this trip, <laughs> and uh, I got like red wine, which, as most people know, is the most disgusting kind. And I, they give you a little plastic bottle, and I like poured a bit of it into my cup, and I took a sip, and thought it was so vile that. I couldn't even imagine finishing the like small plastic cup. So I, I was sitting there in turbulence trying to pour the wine back into the tiny little bottle. Miss, miss, there's something wrong with the wine. Yeah. It's gone off. It's, it's gone it's, off. Yeah. <laughs> this bottle's corked. It's I remember the, the first time I saw you drinking wine, Mike, was in Sweden or something. It was like yeah. one of those early European tours after chemistry. We were all eating in like some weird dingy tavern. And you had a glass of white wine or something. We were all pretty shocked. I didn't enjoy it. Anyways. I, I my favorite Which drink brings us back to year of the horse. Well, no, before we do, we got to talk about, uh, well, you drank, in Japan. You, you drank in Japan. I got wasted. Uh, and you had an entire bottle of shoju yeah. backstage at the, the weekend we did with like, uh, dinosaur junior and the war on drugs. And, uh, and they'll know us by yeah, the trail of the dead. No no yeah. weed. Thurston Moore uh, also played. I got like, yeah, I got, I got, I know what the, the crazy thing is. I'm surprised I didn't puke because I drank that whole bottle of fucking you whiskey. Did, I think it was, it was very, uh, yeah, very intense that night. It was a very fun day. I got in an argument with Thurston Moore about which version of Crucified was better Agnostic Fronts or Iron Crosses. I went For like to sushi. five hours. <laughs> I went to sushi by myself. At the, in the middle of the night and uh and yeah just ate sushi by myself i was i had a really fun time that night that was a really good time you no i drink every day i don't think that so was awesome. i think i think the weed is much more conducive with my kind of lifestyle but uh you know what i want to talk about though russia russia part uh, two that was some serious drinking well you guys had a drinking contest <laughs> we uh we had like a disagreement on stage and then we decided to settle it by having a drinking competition, you know, like two level-headed professional musicians always should. But there were no and, winners that day. Well, this is, I think it's the one and only time I've blacked out, like, uh, from alcohol I, or anything. Like, I, I, but you guys, like, it was, it's not even like when you say you blacked out, like, you know, you weren't wandering around, like, you guys were just in that room unconscious. And then the cops showed yeah. up and raided the party. I blacked out way before I passed way out, before. though. <laughs> Apparently, I was getting into arguments with people over pronunciation of Russian words, <laughs> being convinced that I was right. Uh, I woke up in the shower 
nude. Uh, that and, was the next uh, day. That was, the that next was the next day. who put us in the who put us in the shower because I remember, so, I woke up in the shower too nude and I was like who put me in here and took my clothes off <laughs> like the, the, <laughs> I think you took your own clothes off we did no one was stripping anyone naked <laughs> well, how did I get in there if I wasn't awake yet you were awake you were just like really? a zombie yes in the morning the whole day you were a zombie I remember looking at you in the Latvian airport as we're doing the. The changeover flight and you just look like i'm like how are we gonna play a show tonight well and I, we fucking did how crazy is that well we we had to fly to england we played in portsmouth the next day yeah which was like a, the hardest the harshest come down on an already harsh come down. <laughs> yeah that was a no that what happened was you guys came back got destroyed uh the party kept raging the cops showed up the cops took everyone from vice russia to jail for the night and then everyone in the band passed out, but they just stayed there. And they just like stayed there all night while we were sleeping, I guess. And then I eventually fell asleep. And the next morning, the guy from one of the guys from Vice Russia who wasn't taken to jail was like, okay, you guys got to go. And we got up and took you like guys the to the cops shower. stayed in the apartments all night? I, yeah. Like, they must have left eventually. PlayStation or something? Just watching Russian me, play- watching us sleep. <laughs> like they're just in the room. I could hear their radios going off all night. Huh yeah it was a it that was a weird there's there's some moments in a band where you like look back upon them years later and you're like wow that was fucking crazy that was so scary we could have all been thrown in jail that night for for nothing that's not that scary that don that didn't dawn on probably either of us at all because we no, passed you were out, out at about you were out. 11 15 p.m yeah you guys were i would have preferred to get thrown in jail because then we wouldn't have had to get on all those flights the next morning we could have like <laughs> you know got stayed at the canadian embassy for a couple of years <laughs> we probably lived still a be pretty there. chill life <laughs> we probably still be it's there it's big old world to discover uh i i don't think we'd be going to the embassy at first i think we and i think having a hangover in a like a moscow prison is probably worse than playing a show in portsmouth well maybe yeah, not maybe. i don't know <laughs> uh, we'll have to try both yeah so how did uh how did your of the horse start because that was um what you guys just went in the studio for no reason i thought you guys were doing it as far back as when we were working on david come or glass boys well okay here's the real story yeah back then we every time we every time jonah was in town we would just book studio time and fuck around and every time we were like doing an album in the studio we would like take little breaks from the album to like write whatever zodiac was due so yeah, I think uh, I think we started re- the first official session for Horse was in, in 2015, which is before, which is after Glass Boys, still a very long time ago. I, th- I can't remember what we were working on, but I think the first stuff that was committed to be recorded was the acoustic yeah. take, which weirdly has a really, 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 really long history for fucked up. Because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a memory of being in your guy's house on Roxton and Mike, you playing me that riff on your guitar in your room. Be like, check this out. One day I'm going to write a song that sounds like Metallica or whatever. This and- is going to sound like bullshit, but yeah, the the acoustic riff that goes like, yeah, as a song, I wrote that when I was like 14 years old. I, I just had, it's a really easy song. Like I'm some virtuoso. It's a very easy arpeggio to play, but I wrote the chord progression when I was 14 or 15 and just remembered it for however years old I am now for 50 years. 
and then it ended up in a and basically that I think that's part is the spine of the song kind of so yeah yeah it all grew out from that one acoustic riff on this one session that I think it was a zodiac session and that acoustic riff came kind of at the end it might have been a dragon or something like that um or uh yeah uh or um I'm gonna to have to look up the band's Wikipedia because I can't remember what which one came after Dragon. Anyway, Snake. Snake. My, but but Dylan, my friend Dylan, who I record with these days, was telling me that he was like in the studio on Glass Boys apprenticing, and you guys were working on some shit that was like maybe part of what would become. Like he was like, "Oh fuck, I remember this from way back then." They were working on something like on on yeah when when he was on Glass Boys. But this but is no, around the time that we. We, we were we were working with Leon around the time of Glass Boys and after Glass Boys. And then he passed the torch off to the person we currently work with, Alex Gamble, who had Dylan in as an apprentice. And that was yeah. kind of like, who's now recording your vocals for some stuff that Fucked Up's working on. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. But it's all it's it's all a big, long line. It all connects back, Jonah. It's all very think- linear. You guys think that we should have called the five the five inch year of a pony? Oh, that would have been good. I saw somebody post that on Twitter. That's funny. That would have been cool. Oh well, you know, next time when we make the sequel. Next. Be looking for. Keep looking for something. I'm looking for uh, part of my dab rig that I've put down somewhere, but I have no idea where I put it down now. Ugh. All right, we'll find it later. All right, just crack a beer, man. Crack a bottle of wine. I got Open lung beers here, one, Mike. One liter uh, <laughs> lung beers. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, yeah, like because Dylan was like when we were working on stuff, he's like, "Oh wow, this sounds familiar from way back when." On doing shit with these guys, so yeah, it's it's like it was amazing to kind of be in the studio, listen to that song, and I think I experienced it as the listener experiences it, like. Like I got it and I'm like, I don't want to pre-listen to this. I want to listen to it in the studio as we're recording it. So I hadn't heard it. And so Dylan and I were in the studio and we'd listen to a part and be like, what the fuck was that? And then work on a part and then be like, all right, let's see what's next. And then the next part would happen and it'd be like, what the fuck? And especially at that point, it was just you on everything, Mike, right? Like there was no one else. You did all the guide vocals for it oh just the talking yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but no like you did also like all the parts that become other vocalists i think even too like not vocalizations but like all the lyrics were there so it's so weird to then hear it again as a finished thing yeah where you're now removed and it's now all these other people because it's like yeah i feel like i've heard the record three times separately you prefer we just put it out with only my talking vocals on it there's occasionally moments where I'm like, actually, Mike's talking kind of works here more for me than uh, some, not so much on this record, but definitely other records where I was like, yeah, I wish. Uh, actually, you know what it was? It was when we were doing um, uh, uh, Normal People. And yeah. at first I'm like, oh, I wish Mike just did all his own spoken parts for it. And then I like, now I've grown to it. And I like, obviously love Jonah's part on it and everyone else's part on it too. But Let's it's weird. Like, the talking record. Well, it's funny, like, it's it's just funny how different the relationships to the songs are for different people. Like, 
uh, you know, Jonah was sending me notes on something we were working on recently. And he's like, I'm going to put Alice Cooper style backing vocals on this track. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, I guess it does kind of sound like Alice Cooper, but not in the way that I had imagined it or envisioned it. So I imagine when you get these songs back, especially songs where you don't write the lyrics, it must just be completely like not what you thought it was going to be when you sent it out. That's it's always kinda... weird the first couple of listens, I think. Yeah. But then yeah. You, you, get, you get to like it. <laughs> yeah. But that's also the nature of doing things these ways where, I mean, even if we, even when a song gets written in a room together, you don't sort of understand how it's going to sound from your head to your hands to what it's going to be in the room. And it's, it's like definitely the nature of, especially with horse, you spent so long listening to it, changing things, arranging, and then mic writing the lyrics that, you know, there's no way that what came back after your vocals were put on it could sound anything like we were expecting it to sound like, you know, it was destined to change. Yeah, no, it's definitely to change, but it's like, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it, I think when you're recording things or working on a song with other people at the same time in the studio with them, you're going to be able to kind of articulate what you want or what your intention was for a given song or for a given part. So I think your relationship to like hearing that song as a final product is completely different than when you're just sending someone to like a blank song and they're just going to do what they do. Well, the Zodiacs are always such a free for all though. Like this song changed so many times in its, as it was being written, it was kind of like written on the spot from that acoustic guitar riff came you know some of the, the main meat of the song like mike was saying the big chorus the like mother there's a darkness coming in through the window that sort of came from there because that's a riff in there same with uh the big sort of heavy refrains on sides a and c so we kind of you know the metallica was always in mind for how to change this but then from from there it just completely crystallized into this weird shape right Phil, based on kind of the stuff that was hanging around in the studio and like uh, sides A and C were done in, in nine, six or nine days, something like that in a row in the winter of 2016. And after that, like, you know, the ideas got diluted and reproduced and diluted and reproduced until we get to some of the stuff on sides B and D, which is like totally out of left field. So it's really also sets, a strange precedent for how vocals are going to sit on it at all, whether it's yours or somebody else's, because nobody's used to writing vocals for uh, string quartet sections and samba grooves and sort of like lounge music. And, you know, it's like, yeah, totally, totally like different peak of songwriting. Yeah. Look, it definitely feels like there are moments in that record where, uh, uh, yeah, it just feels like very different than anything we've done prior to it. And it's going to be hard to, eventually try and translate that to a live setting. Um, Cause I think when we were recording it, I was like, oh, this is like an unplayable live record. So let's just, I think we always go nuts. Think that we always think that, but then we always figure out a way to make stuff sound cool. You know what I mean? Like we've had, we've put out hard records. Like I thought Dose Your Dreams was hard record to play. And it doesn't even have that many weird instruments, but uh it's just we it's fun to take the weirdest stuff and try to translate it to like a like a more punk fast raw thing yeah i can yeah. see us doing it you know just to strip down whatever whatever version of it being sick play a bit faster yeah it could be cut fun out, cut out the parts that i have to sing on 
No, you got a saying now, Mike. Get, on get stage. rid of those. You got one yeah. show, right? Where you sang on stage? Uh, no, I did like five or six shows, probably. I remember fi- singing Philly in Toronto. Horseshoe. On that tour. Yeah. On that first Dose Dream tour, I sang a bit, and I was just like, I fucking hate doing this. And then Josh took it over. It's harder than you think. Same way I found when I'm playing guitar, it's harder on my fingers yeah. than I thought. It hurts your fingers. I just don't have a like a voice that that, that sounds good live. Is the main thing. That doesn't yes. stop anyone. That doesn't have to stop anyone, yeah. Mike. You just go for it. Just well, do it. you know. Just do it. I'll just play guitar. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. got a got a reputation for playing guitar. I'll just go right ahead now. and play. Go, go, just play, go play with play that. Guitar on stage. Yeah, I'm just gonna shred on uh, on mine as well. Um, uh, no, it 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 feels. It feels like um, it was kind of the perfect record to work on during this time period because I think it was there. First of all, there was no pressure because there was no label attached to it, and then it was also something where there was no expectation of trying to tour it afterwards. You know, it could exist just as like this moment in time. Yeah, and now it's also it's such a big story too. It lent itself to the interiority of COVID, right? And you could. I mean, everybody can make an hour and a half for something, I guess, but it's like uh, there were long periods of time getting mixes back for that and and even listening to parts where, you know, you just, you do end up listening to the record hundreds of times. And in this case, it's 90 minutes, like spent so much time with this music. It's crazy. Yeah. And it, it it's, you know, fills a big void. So it's also, um, you know, like this, this, uh, this time where, you know, like you're saying, people were able to binge on stuff and sit down and process things in a way that they might not during other time periods. And I think reading, releasing a 90 minute record is just so like the complete opposite of what everyone should be doing right now or what everyone expects. Especially releasing it four parts over like (laughs) six months or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it seems like it flies so much in the face of like what everyone's saying you should do as a band now. So we're kind of we used were, to used to doing that, though, aren't we? I think I guess. we were pretty set up to like, because the last couple of records we already recorded them as if COVID was happening. Because we haven't done, we haven't had this five or six of us in the studio at the same time for probably like for ten years. Yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, I think that it's a good way for us to record because I think everyone like kind of trusts each other with what they're going to do especially me. Cause like I always have a vision of like what things are going to sound like. And to what you were saying before, if it's weird, it's not really weird to, to have like, then have someone sing over the thing you wrote. Cause I think in the band, we've just done this enough times that like, I know when the song gets handed to everybody to work on, on their own, uh, everybody just kind of trusts each other. And like, there's a lot of times where I'll listen to rough mixes of like stuff you guys both do. And I'm like, what's going on with these drums? Or like, what's this vocal about? But then I, it's like, when it all gets put through like the the mixing and the ringer, then I like, it becomes really clear what you guys were doing and what your, what your ideas were. And it ends up being sick. And I think with Horse, everybody just really bought, like, when you're presented with like a like a zany idea like we often are everybody just kind of like buys into it especially i think damien this was that was your big thing with horses do you really like probably took a second and was like what the fuck 
but then you and Dylan, you'd like really bought into what it was. And like, that's what affected your vocal performance. I think. I think it was also the fact that like, you know, up until every other time I've been in the studio up until that point, it felt like a chore or something that had to be done. And this was the first time where I'm like, well, fuck. I've kind of thought I might not be able to do this again. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, oh, fuck, this is it for music. I'm probably not going to play music again. Because, um, you know, it, it just felt like that at times. Like, this was going to be, how are we going to come back from this thing? Um, and it's still like that at times. But, I, so I, when I went to that studio with Dylan, I'm like, fuck, I get to be in the studio again. Like, I think even the difference between being in the studio, cutting the demos for the LP that we abandoned versus being in the studio again, a few months later for horse was like night and day for me, you know, just like trying to appreciate every second of it. Like there's just so many moments now I look back on where I'm in the studio and I'm like, yeah, I kind of barely remember it. Like, I really don't know if I was like hundred percent as present as I should have been. Little did you know, there was about nine hours of fucked up songs <laughs> that you're going to have to do vocals on at that point. I still think though, that even every time I go in the studio now, I kind of feel the same way. I try and have like that kind of like, sense of uh uh like i don't know i just think at different times i took it all for granted and being in the band you know and like i think part of that was a self-defense mechanism of being like you have all your dreams kind of given to you and you don't know how to process it and you don't know how to like uh maturely kind of deal with it so you end up just like being like i don't even fucking want to be here mm -hmm. and that that's like the self-defense thing um when the reality is you want to be there more than anywhere in the world and you just can't believe that you're there. Um, yeah. That's, know, that, that's really nice. Yeah. No, I think that's what I, that's what I try and, uh, that was some, like, you know, I think having this time to reflect on stuff, I, I think those are the kind of things that I'm going to try and take with me, leaving it, you know, and going back on the road, you know, even tour, like the thought of being in a van for like eight hours, it's like, wow, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> you'd be in a van for eight hours like driving around like i could listen to music i could meditate i could there's so much stuff there's so much adventure around every corner there's a gas station then there's another kind of gas station but those are to, exciting now every time you, you get go to a gas, gas station yeah what what restaurant is going to be at the gas station around the next bend you know you have an excuse to eat shit like you, you can't eat shit when you're at home you don't have uh, an excuse you can you can, but like you could live your life on tour every day of your life if you wanted to. You could, but like you'd really you'd you you die a quick death, I think, with that kind of lifestyle. My my, my way it. of living on the road. My old way of living on the road. Like midnight rolls around, head straight to McDonald's. Jonah, let's not uh, forget the ten thousand calorie day. When, when you and I you forgot think, I forgot the ten thousand calorie day. The day we went to play Chicago. Oh yeah. Guy. Oh yeah, Culver's, McDonald's, the Slinger, tacos, the Slinger. Yeah, it was. Remember not... when we drove to a festival in Iowa and we stopped at the same Pizza Hut on the way there, and then on the way back we stopped at the same Pizza Hut. Yeah, <laughs> you probably had the same order. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I don't know if I could crush two huts in one day like that. No, it was like we slept in night. We played a show. So oh, the one the next day. Okay. And then the next day we just went to the same place. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I could definitely do that. Two days I always pro. thought the day the part the whole day leading up to the show was always my favorite part of tour. 
because yeah you're just like a you're just a rowdy band of pirates like just living your own life no one knows where you are no you know no one knows where you're going and there's no responsibility up until like up until like 11 p.m you're just living a completely different life than a lot of other people do but then once you have to perform then there's that's where the pressure comes in yeah the pressure and like the whole day is building up to performing and then the come down from performing that night and trying to like trying to balance that in your head is is really hard you know and then we should be taking callers on this podcast we should be taking callers (laughs) any questions about life on the road we could just start sending out the zoom link to friends of ours and see if they want to hop on with us and and chat for a second should do that. yeah or to just put it on twitter or something i don't really want to do that i get a lot of weirdos coming out yeah. it's much more fun when it's like the three of us in the van time it, this this is a, this is about as close to the van as we've been yep in a in long time. time except i'm in a basement I don't know where Mike, you seem to be surrounded by a lot of plants. So you're probably at a botanist's house or something. And Joe, I'm in my little the... nook. But a lot of plants. You got a lot of plants there, right? Yeah, that's kind of my thing. I thought your thing was being aloof. <laughs> that's another one. That's one of my things. I got this some fucked up posters. I yeah, see that. Right that one. Yeah. Yep. I got Anyways, some. People can't see this. That's no. what's out there. Big old nothing. Water. Oops. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to getting to see you guys again. I really, uh, you know, I miss everyone. I, I, yeah, we I'm miss a, you too, man. Got a lot more emotional. I think that tour would have been fun if we. I think that tour would have been fun if we had done it in September, <laughs> but. Yeah. You know, I'm glad we kind of held off. So now we can see each other hopefully in January. Yeah, unless we have to hold off again. Unless we have to hold off. Hopefully again. not. Hopefully not. Yeah. I look at, I don't know how, are, do you guys know how you're going to handle playing live? I don't know. Like, I see people passing the mic, people in the crowd now. I'm like, man, I don't want to get our tour canceled think, halfway through the tour. I think we should Just, all try to get COVID before we leave. Okay, so have like a COVID party? We should just be really flagrant about it and really irresponsible <laughs> and make sure we get possibly twice, but each get it twice before January. Yeah. That would be good. Uh, I, I don't know if that works. I've heard, I've heard rumors of that the Omicron goes through uh, people that have already had Delta. Well, no, we have to get that. And oh, the next one. That. Yeah, we have to go Jesus. to like where COVID the is. the first like, drop. We have to get go to like cell zero of the ne- of the next one. Find it. Travel to that place where the, the one after Omicron is. <laughs> get get them all, but don't spread it to anybody. Stay there. Pra- do our rehearsals in like wherever it's going to be, like uh, you know Brussels or something. And then just and then head out into the world. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, I think that's the way we should do it too. I think that all that bands would... should just do that. Like if they're smart, just get the next variant before it happens. And then you can go on tour and you'll be fine. I don't maybe know why you can get, more bands don't think that. Maybe they'll just start seeding it to influencers. So you can yeah. get it in advance. But I don't think influencers really like interact with people in a real way. Uh, like in no. real life, right? No. Are you an influencer? No, I don't have enough followers. No. How many do you need? I think like a lot more than I got. Like one million? Probably like a hundred thousand. Maddie Matson's an influencer. Yeah. 
you know. He's, Were you influenced by him on this record? Uh, maybe not on this record, but past records. Yeah. <laughs> I think he uh, he's. Uh, there were times where I was eating at Parts and Labor when we were going to the studio record, so I was definitely influenced by him there. Really? Yeah, man. That was one of my favorite restaurants for a while. Hmm. I miss it. I miss that era of Toronto. Like, looking back on that now, man, that was... Simpler uh, times. Simpler times. People were having fancy restaurants with shows in the basement. It's a good combo. It's nice, it's nice to look back on any era that didn't have a pandemic happening during it. I feel like every shitty yeah. area we had to go through like you know now we're just like oh remember that remember like having to play all those vice parties and like no one could get it in and you know <laughs> wasn't that awesome <laughs> there was no pandemic there was no pandemic yeah uh everything but uh you know thinking about being at a 90s rec hall show which is like all day with all the lights on yeah but would you rather be here or there i, I kind of got it pretty good right here but I know what you're saying. You'd rather, in general, would you rather be in a pandemic or the the J Tree dinner at Old Spaghetti Factory in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I would love to. I would. Uh, there's few places I'd rather be than uh, the J Tree dinner at the Old Spaghetti Factory in Austin that time. During a pandemic, is that is that one of the places? I totally forgot that happened until just now. Oh, yeah, that is that was that a is, bad scene. Yeah, I don't really remember too much. I remember, remember being we all awkward. We played the show. We were pissed. Yeah, we were Lily pissed. Allen was at the show, except I think she left before we played. Jell Biafra was at the show. Yeah, but he isn't he just a homie. That doesn't really count. We hadn't met him yet. That was the first time I met him. Because remember, right, you and me got in a huge fight outside of the show afterwards. Because you were pissed or something? I was pissed because the show had gone weird. And... Yeah. Uh, I wanted to just go home. I was also, we had no sleep and you want, and maybe it was you or Josh. Someone wanted to check out someone that was playing. And, and him just, we left to see some band. I think we that went to was see it. Mew. Remember was Mew? A, no, I don't remember Mew. Yeah. So I think it was just me. Maybe it was just Jonah and Sandy that were there for uh, my temper tantrum where I did a spin kick and kicked a stop sign, a very low stop yeah. sign. I was just so was... out of anger. Seemed way higher. You also had cut yourself at that show, so you were dripping with blood, and you had a t-shirt wrapped around your head. And then you roundhouse kicked a sign and sprinted into the moonlight. Josh and Mike took off to see the gig so they could make it in time. We couldn't have wheels anywhere. Sandy and I spent the rest of the night kind of looking for you until you appear reappeared with dried blood all over your face, wearing an oversized UGK t-shirt at the UGK show. At the yeah, so you. You had a terrible time, and one minute later, you probably like walked half a block. Somebody met you. He was like, "Do you want to come to the show?" And like, here's this free stuff. It was no. It was it was no. It was like no. It was even like I walked by the UGK show. I'm like, "Fuck! I'm gonna walk." I think we're staying at at Maggie's and Claire's house too. So I don't know where I thought I was gonna fucking walk, but I just started walking, and then I walked by the back side of the UGK show. And the security guard's like, hey, man, you want to go see UGK? And I'm like, sure. And he just opened up the door and let me in. And I was backstage. Why did he call you? No idea. And there was no one else like, around. Like He just was like, hey, man, you want to go see this? Let me bring in this bloody guy. Yeah, this guy's this? covered in this 300-pound dude who's looking very angry, covered in blood. <laughs> hey, settle down. Do you want to come see this UGK show? And I bought the shirt. They didn't give me a free shirt. That I, was I, back in the day where, like, 
we used to stay in this like if we would go to a place we wouldn't get a hotel we would like stay somewhere really inconvenient so if anyone was pissed and wanted to go home we had to <laughs> wait till there was fucked. quorum so like yeah. i remember just being tired after shows and being like yeah hey, just wait here for two hours until we're all ready to go yeah oh especially those south by southwest things like like we would we didn't sleep you know at yeah. all we just like i got heat stroke the next day because i i was driving everywhere and it was hot and i remember like I was sleeping at Maggie's house underneath the pool table because all the bedrooms were taken. So I was sleeping underneath the pool table. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night, like freezing cold. And I, I, I like yelled over at Jonah across the room. I'm like, you have to make me tea. And Jonah made me tea. And I like necked like boiling hot water. And I was like, I'm still freezing. <laughs> and I had a shower upstairs at like four in the morning. And I used all of, I had, I used all of their hot water in the shower because I was, you know, whatever that is, heat stroke or, or the, the other one. And then. Was that also I, after, did you glass. also get hit by the light bulb? The yeah, next that was, day, that was the same that, trip. That, that was, was at night. night. I we thought they were connected. The next, you're thinking of two different trips day. though, Mike. Yeah, you're thinking of two different trips. Because like oh. the one the one where you got the glass in the face was the one Lauren went to, which I think was like the next year. The one we were on, that by that one we were already, I think, that was the year that we were debating whether to sign to Matador or Vice. Right. And that was an omen, you're saying. Because nothing the, bad happened to me at a Matador showcase. Well, that was no, the glass in the face thing. That was definitely at that vice party. Yeah. And uh yeah, that was a bad scene. I remember the best part of that was like that was fine. Well, no, this is like you I was I was bummed out because you had a, the glass in your face. The vice people were trying to make us go on stage and play more. And uh you guys finished uh, the set. No, we didn't. Really? No. But I tried to get up. the band I tried to get the band to finish and it was like a scene where everyone just gradually leaves the bully one by one on the stage. So everyone's just like putting down their instruments and I'm like, come on, let's finish the fucking set. Let's finish the set. And everyone just like slowly walks off one by one. Well, it was worth it because that's how we heard of the word glass. And that's why we named the record glass boys seven years later. Well, you had already said that band with some glass in his face. You're, you're the one with a brilliant idea of having someone work in a light bulb factory. Yeah, me because the glasses from it was in my. We already finished. We had finished. (laughs) That's true. No, we hadn't. Um, The uh, yeah, that show also was Jay Retard was backstage, and I'm sitting with him, and uh, (laughs) he was out of control, and the human giant guys tried to come into the party and they couldn't get in because they weren't on the list, and I'm like, oh, and so I came backstage. I'm like, yo, Jay, uh, do you know where someone to get the human giants in on the? like they're, they're outside they can't get in to the party and jay's like they owe me fucking money for a sink i'm gonna go get the fucking money from them i want to try and shake them down for the money they owed them for the i guess he had the theme song for their tv show so they probably owed him a fair chunk of change i tried to point out that they don't carry that kind of money on them probably for a festival like this all right we're recording again yeah. awesome well, uh, uh, yeah, I really didn't have a, a lot planned for today. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's okay, we're it. just broing out. We're just three bros on a Zoom and just, just hanging to be recorded. Just hanging, tight friends. Yeah. It feels like. Uh, so why don't you say what's your fa- what's your favorite word in the lyrics? Oh, that's a good question. God, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, there's, there's so many lot. words in my head though right now because. 
we finished that song and then we dove into like two other future projects immediately. Yeah. Three. There's a three, lot. Three future projects immediately. Yeah. People don't know, but you know, there's stuff, there's more fucked up records that are happening. This might be the most active year of fucked up coming up ever. In terms that's of what releases people, and touring. That's what people really want. They want a band in its 20th year to get really active. This is when we start putting out the live records, the covers LPs, yeah. you know, just right on schedule. Yep, exactly. We got yeah. we got all the stereotypical releases planned for a yeah, But band. we're doing it in an ironic way, so it's like it works for our favor because you once you put the ironic armor on, anything you do in your whole career can be you can play it off any way you want to. That's true. That's what was smart about us in the beginning, because now any stupid thing we do, we're like, well, you know, we're coming at it from a different angle because we're fucked up. That's true. I think the, uh, I think that was our I think our, our best plan in the beginning was just looking like shit on stage and making everything seem like it was smarter than it is. Yeah, those, those were like expert strategies early on. Every band should put out a secret seven inch not saying that we did but if you put a secret seven inch out people are it gets it gets people's backs up but in a good way and then anything you do for the rest of your career is skewed if you put out a secret seven inch now it would cost you like thirty thousand dollars it costs like as much to put a seven inch out as it does an lp but think of the cachet value that's true that's the more true. stupid it is, the more cachet value it has. I would, cachet would have the inflation on it too, so it's like you'd be you'd be made in yeah. the shade. I listen to this podcast called First Seven Inch Club, where they yeah, talk about uh, they talk about like all old like punk hardcore, mainly hardcore. It's uh, two guys from Albany that you do it. On it. No, but uh, they did the countdown to Oblivion Seven Inch, and it was the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, how just, long could they talk about it for? Like an hour. And That's insane, <laughs> dude! It's amazing hearing people that weren't there for it speculate about different things in it and read the lyrics. I mean, listeners, this is something like that. Has. Uh, I don't know. I don't know their numbers, but they've got one very excited listener, especially on that countdown, countdown to Oblivion episode. That's wild. Are they doing it like alphabetically? No, they're just like randomly picking dollar bin seven inches from the late nineties, early two thousands, or mid nineties, early two thousands. And Wild. stuff like I, I wrote in a suggestion for the Legion seven inch, but uh, uh, they're going to do it. They said eventually he's got to buy like it 15 first. years. <laughs> I don't know how many records are in front of me, but I will be listening. It's amazing hearing they, people talk about these records that are just like, like records. Like a lot of times they are just things I would remember from flipping by seven inches and in who's Emma like, Oh shit. Yeah. Atlas shrug seven inch. Like you know, policy of three, seven inch <laughs> policy of three, seven inch. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the best was like after the fire extinguisher got set off in that place the first time, all those records were covered in fire extinguisher dust, and still yeah. all sat there. <laughs> it wasn't sale. like they went down like valueless records. Not like they're going to go down in value just because yeah. of you know caustic materials on them, asbestos and such. I wish I wish there was a who's Emma still around like so much. Like there's no way. So could you imagine someone opening in like in. Uh, collective yeah. space in Toronto right now, like rents. And- I'm sure there are, but like, like who's Emma Stuff style, like, like where no one gave a fuck. Uh, yeah, I think people give more of a fuck now. Yeah, yeah. But 
that's because yeah. of places like who's emma like you no know. no one knows what that was no places like it where somebody sort of got the ball rolling and everybody else sort of used the space but didn't give a shit and but it changed their lives and now everybody's like here's people saying that these moments in their young lives shaped who they are today and so everybody works so hard at crafting the finished product first now because there's like you know there's like so many after punks that have happened since 1977 or whatever Who, who's the most legendary band that played who's emma I bigger than who 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 you say? Crudos. Yeah, Crudos. Los Crudos. Yeah. Weaker Thens are up there. Weaker Thens are huge, right? Like D Darkest Hour. Darkest Hour definitely became kind of legendary. Dillinger Escape Plan. Dillinger <laughs> Escape Plan. Did uh did Discount American play Nightmare. there? American Nightmare. Discount played there multiple times. Remember, that's how that's why people first started calling me the dude, because the singer of Discount. Uh, I think whoever did the discount show, we were all hanging out. And she's like, you look like the dude from Big Lebowski. And I think they we hung out with them all weekend probably because they stayed at Lisa's house. Oh. She became... So discount definitely played. She's the singer in The Kills now. Yes. So they did you. Uh, yeah, it went really badly. Really? Not for the sure. podcast. She refused yeah. to come on the podcast because it went so badly. Yeah. I interviewed her for much music one time. I thought you were just you just had a conversation with her and it was creepy. No. It's like I'm not talking. To what? Her. No. <laughs> and we did an interview with her for much music, and we did it at a restaurant. And they weren't serving food, and they showed up expecting to eat food at the restaurant. I guess because it was at a restaurant somewhere near the docks, like because they, they were playing the docks that night. And uh, I think the reason you can't have something like Who's Emma anymore is because I think kids are like more on it and more like know more about politics, but. Back when we were at Huzema, it was like all a bunch of 17-year-old kids being supported by like a bunch of weird 65-year-old dudes, which I don't think really happens anymore. No. So that's the biggest difference. Was Huzema like that? I remember the Anarchist Free Hit space was like that. Huzema, it wasn't like that drastic, but yeah, the, the people that, it was that guy, Alan, remember? He was Alan, like a yeah. professor. And I remember when I, when I met him, he like had white hair. So he was yeah. old already then. And I was yeah. like 16. And yeah, the spa those spaces were always just like, they had shadow dudes who were sort of propping them up. And then it was like a playground for kids to like work out their politics. Yeah. And the free space was, that old guy basically just lived there. Yeah. The anarchist yeah, free space. Yeah, the anarchist free space was that dude's spot. But he was very open with that. Yeah. I, I, like now in retrospect, of course, who's Emma had to have someone paying the rent because... There's yeah. no fucking way Bloodlink seven inches were were flipping the bill for that place. We did. I think we paid we paid the rent out of like burning it for sure. At, what, at least when I was there. I guess the shows generated rent, money. But rent was in two thousand and one, like it was cheap as fuck. I think rent at Huzem was like seven hundred dollars a month. That's cheap. Absurd. That, yeah, that's cheap even for then though. Because we were paying yeah, like because, way more than that for our place back then. I know. I think that's because back then even sort of there was still like there was still places in Kensington Market that just like I remember there was a place that just sold eggs like a yeah. storefront. It was just like, yeah, we have chickens and eggs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that still kind of happened back then. Yeah, no, it was definitely uh, the last vestige of of urban spaces that were underutilized. Squatter yeah. culture really like didn't catch hold in toronto anyway not not after that point because there was still fort goof and there was probably still some stuff in the east end where i don't think fort goof was a squat. squat i think fort goof they paid rent oh yeah well it's right on water culture 
never happened in Toronto because there wasn't ever enough surplus like buildings. Buildings, yeah. There wasn't yeah. anywhere. And there were. I mean, there, there were squats. Yeah, there, there were squats. On, on, there was the Lions Club on, uh, what is it, Albany Street, just like around the corner from the Elmo. That was where one of my first shows was at that place. Mm. It was like the political space. And I remember it was massive. It looked like a castle inside. There's also a squad on Bathurst, too, that used to do shows after our shows, I think before we started going to shows that I've heard about actually on the podcast. Yeah. And stuff. So, there, yeah, Toronto does squats, but like, yeah, it's not like even Montreal, I think, had more squats. Than... But uh, I think there's like a sort of parallel between the free space and the squat in, this, in the sense that like the community organizes, a community organizes a place where people can have free reign sort of within the bounds of some political ideology. It was weird because these, all these places are also storefronts, so they're not mm, necessarily yeah. like like secret or hidden away. It's like the anarchist free space was just like this like all black interior bookstore with just like no, a guy. It, it was so weird. It looked like a sort of somebody's front room. You'd like, just be sitting yeah. there drinking a Pepsi. Old timey, like uh, ornate sofas, the ones that looked like they came from the set of Little House on the Prairie or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I think we're a product of that time period. Like, there's just so many, uh, you know, like, I don't think our types of bands would have worked playing the Elma Combo or would have worked playing all the other venues that you're supposed to kind of come up through, like the Horseshoe System, where you're supposed to play, like, a Tuesday night uh, free show. And then from that, you get, like, you know, they have a whole system where you play, like, a free show. And then from that free show, you get your own opening slot. From your opening slot, you get a headlining slot. Like, we w- fucked up? That would have never worked there. We needed a space like Who's Emma? To work out all our shit yeah obviously yeah but we you before but we had an ad it's like that's why there's so many punk bands because you're guaranteed you're like living in your own world right sort of i always sort of compare it to like you know how there's like this shadow culture of like especially like 10 or 15 years ago there was like the christian rock scene and you'd never hear about it because this is before like twitter and stuff but there was like all these christian bands who nobody ever heard of who where it had like millions of fans because they sort of lived in like a shadow culture and punk is a little bit like that too, where like you could, you could be a touring punk band and make a living, but no, no one had ever heard of you because, you know, unless you like knew the phone number or knew where the squat was, you just weren't part of the world and fucked up was, yeah. Like we sort of all met in at Huzema, which was like a choose your own adventure building not really part of the music scene, not really part of like culture in Toronto it was its own special weird thing. And if you form your band inside of that, yeah, you, we were like, had big attitudes back then. We were like, we're not playing this fucking club. Like why would we need, why would we play on this huge stage? We can't charge what we want. So that's why I think we just did so much weird shit apart from we're all just weird people, but we came, we, the birth of our band happened in a very autonomous place that's such the so the the appeal of the punk scene or for me anyway like that it was a parallel world uh the, the first show i got taken to at who's emma i don't think that i had like maybe i hadn't been in kensington market before not like sort of knowingly and i like walked down the street into this empty abandoned food market into this dark storefront going into the basement of this room i was just like you know, it's like getting led into another planet. And then the whole punk scene is that for so many people, bands nobody knows about that only you know about that connect in only a way you know. It's a very personal place to exist. What was your first show at Who's Emma? 
Darkest Hour. Oh Sick. man. Wait, yeah. you guys oh and, guys... and race no no Darkest Hour and Race Trader. That was my first show. I did, that. My... I did that show. Yeah, you definitely did that show. I definitely I... made spaghetti for Darkest Hour at my mom's house. I still have a Darkest Hour sticker from that show in a shoebox somewhere in Toronto. But you guys played because Darkest Hour also played uh the uh show that you guys opened with what's what's that band from Vancouver? Submissional. Submissional. Yeah, they did. It was, uh, or maybe I'm mixing up the two shows. It's either Race Trader, yeah, Race Trader was my first show there, yeah. and then, and then, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because Race Trader there was like, like 15 people there, probably. Yeah, Race Trader yeah. headlined too. I think it was like the, yeah. and it was. Uh, I remember that show vividly. They had that huge, huge drum kit, like '80s stadium rock drum kit. It was with like two China symbols on either side. Well, and it so wasn't good. enough because at one point the lead singer plays drums. He brings out a Tabali drum to play. <laughs> so there's a lot of drums oh, going on, a lot of percussion during their sets. Uh, that was a great show, though. That stayed with me. Why? Got, what happened? I don't know. He pulled out another drum at one point and started playing drums on the floor. Who's Emma? It was fucking I don't remember awesome. anything about that show at all. That's all I remember is he part of the second drum, started playing drums on the floor, and it was fucking awesome. You remember the last show? Somebody reminded me of this the other day, the last show that ruination played somebody was like somebody took like a bag of flour downstairs and like covered the atmosphere like opened up a bag of flour on everybody and like people were throwing people were going to like the garbages of of kensington market to collect like rotting fruit and vegetables and throwing it at whatever band was playing i think you're confusing two like shows because that's like the career suicide <laughs> mark Jer when mark uh played drums yeah, for you mark. guys uh from uh teen Crack combo and you guys had the garbage fight in the basement and he got garbage dumped on his head and just walked off the stage. I, I, no, I wasn't Mark. there. That that was probably fuck fuck Jonah. That might have been fuck Jonah. Because because he Mark <laughs> only I only ever played one show with one or two shows with Mark and they weren't at Who's Emma. So yeah, I didn't I didn't get <laughs> it was definitely the last show because the ruination played upstairs. Because I think yeah. like, I'm not and someone there. threw a bag of sugar into the ceiling fan of that show. Yeah, I remember when I would I would have to be at most of the shows because I was like booking the space or whatever. And I remember just like remember there was that hole in the floor, and I would get yeah, bored and time. just like drop things through the hole and try to hit people on the head yeah. who are watching the show. I remember that show because like honey and stuff. I came home from work that day and I was in my bed and I was taking a nap, and you guys all called me from the show. You're like Dave, call Ann and you. We're like Damien. It's the last Who's Emma show. Get down here. And I'm oh, like, really? oh, I'm at home. And you're like, well, wait till you get here. And then like, so where are you living in Riverdale, Riverdale at my mom's house. And so I hopped on the subway, came down to the show and watched you guys play the last show. At Who's you would have known that was the last show was happening. I know, but I was like, just too tired like, and like this. in my own head, probably depressed and too tired from what? Uh, working at the toy store. What was your job? Oh, right. Yeah, the toy store. The toy store. Remember, yeah. we both worked at different suckers to, during those times. Yeah, we worked at the same the same chain of candy stores. How wild did they call him? Like Chris Callahan worked at suckers. We worked he at did? suckers. Which yeah. one? He worked at it when it was the it store. We were and all was, candy boys. Yeah, all all but all <laughs> all had the same terrible boss. Remember how shit the yeah. boss was there? Oh my god! I don't terrible. think I ever met him. But uh, I remember stealing like a backpack full of candy every shift, pretty much. And my whole shift, I would I would sit at the window with my legs dangling out the front window, reading a book. Yeah. And Future Bakery was across the street, and they would throw cookies 
at me across the street and I would throw like bags of candy at them. We would just like do trade food, but by throwing it across the street. <laughs> I remember the last day you were working there, you're like, come down, bring a shopping cart. And yeah, we I think to- I stole like $300 with a just jelly beans, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't even really like, but I was like, that was your attitude back then. And you're just like, you get fired. You have to rip like everything off the wall that you can, even if you yeah. don't want it. Yeah. Yeah, no, we had we had like that house we lived in was so crazy when I think back to like just dumpster yeah. diving for everything. Like, oh, Blockbuster, yeah. let's go to the dumpster and see what Blockbuster has that. Oh, there. do we need 500 like DVDs? No, <laughs> we got them. We're taking them anyways. <laughs> we got them. Yeah. We had like a giant American flag on our couch, like a huge fucking American flag on that couch. Oh, the one that was at uh, Lisa and Chris's house? Yeah, the one that we got from the uh, flag. We show. had that? Yeah. And then Callahan took it for his art show. What art show? He had an art show, like a photography show years ago, and he took the, the American flag for it, I remember. I wonder where it is. It was, it was like as big as a house. That flag. It was as big as a house. It was ginormous. Where is it now? I, I don't know. Probably, it's probably, probably like housing six or seven punk kids. They stole that flag. They, they were like driving home from a fest, and they saw like the biggest American flag imaginable and just like took it down from the flagpole. Like, can you, if you did that now, like you would be assassinated on the spot. Yes, they did that. That's they were saying. very foolish. They were very foolish. Yeah, they, we would never do that. We would never do that. <laughs> but imagine, like, imagine it, like, you're sitting there and you're, like, from a different country and you're stealing a flag in 2020, whatever year this is, like... Oh, that would be nuts. That could like, start a war. That was just all, all sorts of crazy shit, like... You and Josh go into the border and accidentally giving the each other's passports and not being in the car with the other person. Oh yeah, that's just an accident, though. That was, but that's still like you can't make that accident now. Yeah, well, we used to sneak into the country like every couple of weeks. Yeah, that was a problem, which is dodgy, also. Yeah, it was very redacted, <laughs> and also like. <laughs> There wasn't a pandemic back then either, so <laughs> it was just so much better. It was so much better. So... You could do anything you want. <laughs> you could, you, could, you wouldn't you... even get sick. Yeah, no, you just make your own, uh, make your own rules. Uh, you guys did fucked up with. Oh yeah, no, yeah, you guys, you were playing fucked up without me, right, Jonah? Yeah, you did the first two shows with Josh singing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Uh, I. I always forget that he was the singer and there's some, maybe there's some, there's no recordings with him on it, but I remember his voice being really high and shrill. I think that, that might've been part of my, uh, Sirens, the song Sirens, which for some reason of all the things that can stick in my brain, I think I can still remember how to play it. Yeah. We should record all that stuff with Josh singing it. Uh, or not. Yeah. I think it'd be kind of cool. I don't think he's dying to sing on an album. I don't think he is either, but I, I would like to get that stuff. Uh, for posterity it's on a demo we just put it out on seven inch i get better records not that song oh yeah but with me making up words for it yeah it's it's different than when josh was singing it when he there were actually real words when josh was singing it about cops that was that song was about me having bail conditions and not being able to hang out with nathaniel for a summer (laughs) (laughs) i was like fuck this can't hang out with nathaniel uh that was that was the night of the propaganda show right that you guys got arrested um 
I don't know. While well, you guys were all at the fucking pop punk show, and me and Nathaniel were doing real shit. No, the thing was at the pop punk show. No, because me and him, we were together. Yeah, but then I think I think it was the next day or something because oh. he came to the he came to that show. Really? I thought you were there too. But maybe we not. weren't allowed to hang out, so I guess he got to he got <laughs> propaganda in his separation. I had to stay home and like read Kropotkin. You went to shows that that year though, so he must have not gone yeah. to shows. Maybe we just traded off. Yeah, yeah. I, we, remember, I remember we secretly we were just like we got arrested for a very small crime. Like just to go pro, it wasn't serious, and but we took we had these conditions where we, you weren't allowed to associate with your co-defendants, and me and Nathaniel were like very close at that point. And I remember we were like, like so fucking serious about it. We were like, if we get seen together, we're gonna go back to jail, as if like police in Toronto are looking for like two teenage nerds. So we would like make plans to see each other like through other people and meet in like parks far away from our houses at like four in the morning. We're like, if we go to this park here, it's like, so they'll never suspect us. And we did this for like three or four months under the delusion that like anybody, everyone, anyone gave a shit, whether or not you're hanging out with each other. I, I then, totally, uh, we wrote a fucked up song about it. Yo, how wild is it that Nathaniel's an influencer? Is about He's, what? Like, oi, stuff. Like, Nathaniel's well, band. So. Yeah, Nathaniel, Nathaniel's band is like uh, a, a thing, you know? Hygiene? Yeah. Hygiene. Uh, there are kids that I've talked to. Like, I remember reading an article in Max Rock and Roll Review that talked about how this band was, like, influenced by hygiene. He's more of an influencer because he teaches at a prestigious art college here. No, I know, so but he's, he's also he's directly influencing people's fashion opinions. He was also very much dressing that way. Like he was the first kid I remember seeing in England like that. He always had really weird niche like jeans. He's he's like these jeans are from this specific store that like pleats them in a different way. Niche it's, jeans. Well, it's wild it's when we started ending. going when we started going over to England, it was like there yeah. were no kids like that at all at that time period. There were like, no bands like that mods like at shows at hardcore shows there were no oi bands there were no skinheads there were no punks. No, it was well it's, i didn't we tried we played there every day for like a bunch of years and i didn't see anything i think that all the stuff that happened in the late 70s and 80s including in north america too like sort of went away and then it's taken until the last sort of 15 years for people to like really start aping that again in like an active way because there was always these like sleeper contingents of punk scenes and things that had these like stylistic hangovers but like the the new hardcore scene was always just sort of about i don't know not, it was like sort of not fashionable at all everybody just wore whatever yeah no it was definitely and i, I think there's more of a continue like a, a continuity in oi stuff to in north america than in england where it feels like there was a hard stop like shit got obviously so heavy at a certain point that you know cox bar stopped playing like a lot of bands mm -hmm. just stopped playing or stopped being able to play and uh, and other bands just went you know dodgy but it just feels like there wasn't a lot for a while like i, I was except for hardskin i guess was like kind of like the holdover wasn't there they making fun of it though they kind of like they, you know, they formed at a wedding and they were all as, as, they all came from the anarcho scene yeah they were all like heavily political squatter anarcho types 
who love that music and were going to see. You're not supposed to get married if you're an if you're an anarchist. You're not supposed to get married because, you know. Yeah, too many rules. You're supposed to be struggling. That's so it's counterintuitive to me. Well, isn't it like after the first Radiohead record came out, there was no punk bands anymore in England? What? Like, when did this now? Yeah, we we we've just got grunge. Yeah, oh, Voorhees. There are Voorhees. There's there's some other shit happening. Uh, and and Tom Check York came notes. out of Tom York came out of a punk band. Did you talk to him? No, I tried. I haven't got him yet. No? I don't Tom know. York, come on the show, you fuck. I haven't got a, I, I don't really know him. Like we don't hang together. How could you connect to him? What label are they on? You should talk uh, our to old what's label. his name from uh Oh, they're on XL? Uh yeah. Okay, so just hit up Adele, who was famously once on a fucked up guest list. Just be like Adele, it's me, Damien. I met Adele twice. She was super cool both times. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, I went nice. to a football game with her ex. I went to a football game with the guy that 21 is about. Whoa. Did it, did he seem like he was worth a million selling record to be written about? I really don't remember. He's a chill guy, though. Okay. Well, maybe. Who's that? I'm not going to say. You want <laughs> these 5 million Adele fans to like jump over Damien and get, get up and all your shit? All right. This Adele is good. Fans. This is juicy stuff. This can be this can be for your like pull quotes for the for your tweet about this episode later. You know like, who it is anyway. You know yeah, you can Google anyway. that shit. That, I'm just asking Google. I know who it was. Uh, you probably know just because you know stuff like that. I don't know. But... I don't know. Well, I don't. I don't know that sort of stuff. Like all well, I know. When about... you talk to Adele, you can ask her that too. You're like, who did Mike go to a Spurs game with in 2008? I want to. I'm going to probably try and get her on the show at some point. I don't. She think wasn't she a punk me. though. No, not at all. What would Maybe she, she was. Maybe she was. I don't think she maybe, doesn't sound like she, it. Maybe she no. was in the squatter scene. Maybe. I found out Stranger Things. Like, there have definitely been surprises to, that have, have shook my world that I found out that, you know, that wouldn't be one of them at all. Yeah. Well, guys, we don't have to ramble on <laughs> forever. <laughs> Are we going to? It was just a footnotes episode to the real one. What's the real one? Well, we didn't really get to horse. Well, we did kind of talk about a horse in the first yeah, part. Yeah, we did. Like, I don't know. What it's a cool song. I think. It's a good, good song. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I plug it at the beginning of every episode. So it's yeah, like people, why not just listen to it and buy it? Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't think you even have to buy it to listen to it first. You can check, check, check it out and then decide if you yeah. want to buy it on vinyl. I'm sure that we'll play it live one day. People can Hopefully. Come to that, you know? a, if we can figure out how to translate it to a live setting, maybe we'll play it one day. Just, just plug uh, in those guitars and start strumming. Including, yeah. we're going to need a fourth guitar for sure. So you've got that covered. Na, 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 I'm ready. You can do the acoustic parts since you play acoustic guitar. No, I play an electric. Oh, I got a, I got a Fender Mustang. Abraham goes electric. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm Sem- jumping right seminal, in. Seminal moment in the DIY community. You and, and Dylan up- should make a solo record because he he could do some. He could make some tracks and he could play guitar and sing on it. Do like a crooner style thing. I still think I'm a few months away from being willing to put my guitar on a record or on stage. You know, I think. But I'm, I can't sing. You just do. You can do it all in post. I, I don't know if I could put together a song. Like I really am learning from you like the it. ground up. Like I really you have not one string at a time. You think I would have picked it up from watching you guys for all these years? Like 20 years I've been around people doing this, and just nothing. Not learning an instrument works. No, apparently not. You know, I don't. Yeah, it's very difficult. 
Very, yeah. very challenging. I was been around you for 20 years. I still don't know how to get thrown through a table. No, you don't know how to get thrown through a pit table. I didn't so. get thrown through a table. I threw myself through the table, Mike. Right. Well, I've never been thrown through a table. I've, it's I've, kind of the same thing. But the end result is the same. Hit with a steel chair. Yeah. I got hit with a light bulb. You got hit by a light bulb. Yeah, <laughs> only know. once though. Have I have I ever been like have I ever been like drunk like you guys were in Russia though? No. 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 I've never had to have you guys carry me somewhere. You people on earth have been that inebriated. Well, I was trying to think today if go on, Jordan. No, no. Go ahead. I was just thinking today, like, man, have I ever been to the point where I needed fucked up to like physically take care of me? I'm like, I don't think I've been that Uh, bad yet. I'd like to think that we all take care of each other physically. Yeah. That's what being in a band. Mentally, I've I've been definitely mentally physically physically carrying each other. Yeah. I've been sick. I think that people brought you soup and stuff. People brought me soup. When you yeah, when we canceled that show in Dublin because you were violently ill, I think we were yeah. looking after you. The worst part of that night is I swallowed a, sp- a part of my fork too. I was chewing a plastic fork. Sometimes I'll get a text and you're like, "Can you get me a Pepsi?" So that's kind of that counts. Take care of me. No, I just meant like, was there a point? Because you guys have I've definitely leaned on you guys mentally a lot over the years, but I wonder if I've ever was like at the point where I needed someone to physically carry me somewhere. I don't no, think so. probably take a few of you to do it too. Like it would be not anymore. You're felt now. Light well, but feather. still, it's still. I think I think I would still need a couple people to carry me. Well, that's something to work up to. You know, we got we people got... are heavy when they need help. I remember at Long Winter, there was a woman who got really messed up at the show, and she was like probably a teenager, and she needed to be carried out because she was like you know, hunched, like really, she was just on a lot of like painkillers or something. And we needed to like put her in her mom's coat van. And she was a teenage girl. And we like five people had to carry her out, like C-3PO, where like we put her in a chair and we had to carry the chair because, and she wasn't, she was just a normal kid. And we were just like, how is this person so fucking heavy? I think when people get like fucked up, they become like extra magnetized. Or something goes up with their gravity, you know what I'm saying? So they become heavier because, like, I, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's so fucked up that they, they get heavier. That, yeah, because she was, if, so, she was so, like, whacked out of her mind that she, like, flipped her gravity. Because you know? you, you're not engaging any of your muscles. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. My I grandfather a, said this thing, thing once, and it was like, we were trying to lift my grandmother and uh she was really heavy why because and he, we're like oh well uh you know she's 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 just sitting there there's like no kinetic energy or something it's dead weight and he goes what's the difference if she's dead or alive still weighs the same amount anyway we're gonna end this podcast on a different flavor. oh my god it got heavy no no it was literally not, we're not talking too. about we're talking about physically how heavy things are yeah, yeah. so it got heavy oh yeah i did oh, that's you guys don't think that you can change your weight mentally no, you but know, it, though, but it's true because it's like if you are trying not to get picked up, you like lower your center of gravity. And if you dead weight someone, like have you ever dead weighted someone in like uh, when they're like trying to pick you out? up? No, when someone's trying to pick you up, like just like just go limp on them. It's like yeah. it's it's so hard to carry someone at that point. That's why they say if you're if you're falling, you're supposed to go really limp. 
yeah for some reason i don't yeah. know why you can survive <laughs> i i you i saw this video one time of a guy and he fell out of a plane skydived out of a plane shoot didn't open he bounced twice and he survived there's no way he survived there's no Dude, chance that it was all snap your spine into a million pieces i know but he went limp and he survived with this gravity so he's going he is traveling upwards See, he's going yeah. down. <laughs> it was it was on rescue 911 with uh, william shatner people don't realize it's all that's star trek you know I mean? not rescue 911 no this was rescue 911 jonah okay okay well if he survived why'd they have to call 911 just well, I don't think place. I don't think you like walked away. You know, like you can survive and still be fucked he, up. He broke every single one of his bones in his body. He broke both his legs, I think. That's it. Yeah, that's a like lot. That's a lot to break. Like both he your jumped legs. out of a plane and he just broke his legs. Maybe some ribs. That guy, see, he's on an, he's on another level than us because he, he knows he's like I'm going because he was probably thinking he's like I'm actually going up, not down, so I'm going to be fine. He, whatever he did, we all got to start doing because we could survive falling out of planes. We're fine. Except there's a pandemic. We got to think like, okay, so how do we flip the pandemic on it? How do we flip it on COVID? COVID I, has us. You know what? You know what I'm saying? I think, I think, I think we're fine. I, COVID has us. It's yeah, the other yeah. way around. I think, I think we're fine no matter what because uh, we're together, the three of us. We're not. Right here. Right here. We need we're to do this more often. Miles. We need to do this more often. Just get together on the microphone and, and uh, just chat with the videos on. We don't do this ever. I never do this. I, this is like my fourth Zoom of, in two years. What did you think was a tragically hip quote on that song we're working on? There's a song where you're like, oh, this works, but I don't know if the tragically hip quote works in the middle. You say, I love you. I do. Oh, that, that has nothing to do with tragically hip, though. It's from the tragically hip song that we covered. I, I don't think I, but I'm not, that's why I don't know what I'm referencing. But it's the same phrasing. It's the same words. It's I, almost the same melody. No, I'm referencing Frank Wilson. I love you. No, I'm, yeah, no, I'm right. I'm referencing. Yeah, I, I'm, I think yeah, vocally I I'm trying to reference, uh, um, fuck. I can't even remember the song, but it's like the guy from the gossip did a solo record. Fuck. The guy from, he had the solo record where he had this song, like, you were so cool in school, like popular. I can't remember how it goes, but there's like a kind of like phrasing to it that I was trying to kind of like do my own take on. I didn't even think of the drive. Definitely subconscious because we tra- we covered that song. So you, you've already sang that line in the song. Subconsciously uh, in, in view, the song in view. It's like the big chorus. in. Yeah, but I don't think yeah. it's like that at all. It truly is. Listen to it. I did. I did. I was there with Dylan and Dylan was like, what is he talking about? I'm like, I don't know. Dylan doesn't know what the fuck is going on. He knows what the fuck's going on. He knew that you guys were working on Year of the Horse way before you even wanted to admit <laughs> no, that you were working on it, Mike. no way he knew. He knew. He knew. He heard he the riff. He's like, that session for like 10 minutes. yo, I recognize this riff. Yeah, but it was a big impression on him. You know, it's like it's like one of those big things, like the time you saw me at the Circle Jerk show and I became like your hero. Like these I was moments. Like, Who is this poser. Yeah, yeah that's not. Him. Yeah, yeah. Like, Mom, I want to be like that guy when I grow up, is what you said. Oh, see that guy shoulder. who has a shirt that got signed by <laughs> Pulley? Yeah, but no. Die man, die, die cheerleader. <laughs> Poser. Yeah. yeah, well, where were you at the were you at the die cheerleader show? No. No, because I don't know who that is. Yeah, well, good. Okay, look him up. Would Rollins produced the record. Would yeah, they, they opened for, they opened for filter. And we went because we thought maybe Rollins was going to be on tour with them. 
And you just want a glimpse? We just wanted to see if we could meet Henry Rollins. And we thought he was going to be well, on Well, you did. And it was super weird. Met him a few times, and I don't think we've ever had, like, a really chill meeting yet. But, he doesn't no, I'm, seem I'm like a hoping. chill guy. See, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I get to the point in the band where you guys have to physically carry me somewhere. <clears throat> um, and I hope I get to meet Rollins, and it's too, super fun one time. You know? Super drunk at the first show on tour. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and hopefully invite Henry Rollins to chill. <laughs> <laughs> Two birds with one stone. First door back. Andrew, so you want to have this podcast? Twenty beers. <laughs> He's refused he this podcast? podcast. He does. Yeah. He has his own. It's just about like how many push-ups he's done. No, it's called Heidi and Henry, and it's uh, it, this uh, person Heidi and him, and they do uh, stories on it sometimes and talk about music. Who's Heidi? She, she interviews them sometimes. A friend of did his. Henry. Uh, did Henry give a reason as to why he wouldn't get on your show? there's been a couple reasons over the years we're like right. in like you know this is like how fucking crazy this is year seven of turn at a punk that's crazy it's wild you should try to do a zodiac version of uh this pod like do a zodiac style thing on the podcast uh, like what do you mean like a like a like carte blanche free-for-all like just like, like people hour. coming on is <laughs> saying random shit to each other and yeah. interview anybody <laughs> We should just do a bunch of mushrooms and try and have a conversation with each other. So, that would be a trip. You know, Henry Rollins was in the Green Lantern movie? Yeah. But he wouldn't be in your podcast? Dude, the, the Ryan, like Ryan Reynolds was in the Green Lantern movie. Like, who am I compared to Ryan that Reynolds? That was a huge tank, though, wasn't it? Huge bomb. Yeah, it sucks. It's not as bad as some of the DC movies, though. Yeah, they're all pretty bad. At least this one's short. You know, it's not like five hours. Yeah. We, we, you and me should do a comic book podcast one day. I haven't read a comic book in like five years. Well, we should, then we should start doing like maybe a Young Justice TV show podcast. I don't watch that. You should. It's good. Is it a cartoon? Yeah. Pass. What? Not you like cartoons. You like cartoons. I don't. All right. Yeah. I don't know. You're a secret Rick and Morty fan. You got that look about you. Uh, I've seen it. I liked a couple of it's I think it's bad now, but I could tell. I've seen it. I could tell. Uh I think that I think we should stop. Right, I guess. Awesome guys. <laughs> I think Jonah's gotta go to sleep because it's like one o'clock, two o'clock in the <laughs> so fart. What was that? <laughs> That was the uh, that was the checkered flag. <laughs>